This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 536 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. An anniversary for the Scarlet Speedster, Tom King gets strange, Lois makes Bruce her errand boy, welcome to Billionaire Island, and some industry news. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, March 15th, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. First of all, happy birthday, Mark. Thank you. Second, remember, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs, and you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9737. 9 SFP. Now, this episode's only going to cover one week's worth of comics to accommodate a trip, and you can keep an eye out for a travel log on From the Pop Culture Bunker. So, our next episode will cover three weeks in order to get back on track. The Flash, number 750 by Williamson, Sandoval, Segovia, Johns, Collins, Manipal, Bucolato, Wolfman, Rosmo, Marquez, Lobdell, and Booth. It's another anniversary, this time for the Scarlet Speedster, with the requisite variant covers and oversized issue. The first and main story essentially wraps up a bunch of story points. The keepers of the strength and still forces have gone off to do their own investigations, which I doubt we'll ever hear of again. Kid Flash is back with the Teen Titans, Avery's back with the Justice League of China, Commander Cold has been buried, and the rogues are either at the New Iron Heights or on the run. Barry is controlling his errant speed force with help from Pied Piper. Oh, and Paradox is coming. Things have gotten back to normal at the Central City Crime Lab. Meanwhile, Barry and Iris have finally decided to be a real couple. It's about time. Godspeed runs in and goads Barry into Godspeed's trap. We learn that Barry has been using the speed force without thought to the consequences and must die at Godspeed's hand. Lather, rinse, repeat. The whole story is wrapped up in Iris's story about how people have been helped by the fastest man alive. Jeff Johns brings us a quick tale of Captain Cold, whose beer run while watching a hockey game is interrupted by a robber at the bodega. Snart tries to talk him down and has to use his cold gun to stop him, which makes him the bad guy. Why exactly did Snart wear his costume to go get beer? Barry assumes it's just Snart trying to ruin plans at the Flash Museum the next day. Manipole brings us a what-if tale where Barry uses super-fast thinking to plot out what would happen if he wasn't the one to be hit by the lightning. Well, Grodd gets his powers, and then Iris gets his powers, and finally a kid reading a Flash comic determines where lightning will strike and gets the job. Classic writer Marv Wolfman takes us to the Silver Age with a tale involving Mirror Master who runs Barry through the ringer, giving us versions of Barry as a marionette with a big head turned tiny, etc. Of course, Scudder's ego gets him in the end. 
Williamson's at the starting line formally reintroduces Jay Garrick back into continuity. As suspected, he is inspired by Wonder Woman's first public appearance, now set at 1939, to go public as well. He's apparently been doing some good work behind the scenes for a while. He has a fight with the thinker and then has visions of future battles, villains, and his legacy of heroes to come. He's also bugged by voices, which appears to be reverse flash, telling him he will be forgotten. Finally, Lobdell gives us an epilogue to flash forward. Wally, now one with the Mobius chair, can see all of reality and sees divisions and discrepancies throughout. He now knows that Dr. Manhattan is the one who wiped him from existence, referred to an atomic god, and that he somehow now has those powers as well, but that's still not explained how or why. There's a tableau of Crisis on Infinite Earths, Zero Hour, DC in the 90s, Wildstorm, Forever Evil, The New 52, and the return of the JSA and LSH, something that just happened. He doesn't make it happen. We also see two origin stories, Wally meeting Barry with Iris and Wally and Wallace meeting Barry with Iris. Somehow, both of them happened. He also sees two different forms of the Teen Titans, with the latter having no memory of the former. He reaches Tempest Fugonaut and lays it all out. We see all the recent changes due to Rebirth. When Fugonaut asks Wally if he can repair all the damage throughout time, Wally's reply, I got this. Q Generation 5. Strange Adventures number 1 of 12 from DC Black Label by King, Gerards, and Shaner. The team that brought us the trippy Mr. Miracle is back to tackle one of DC's premier space heroes, Adam Strange. Like Mr. Miracle, there are parallel storylines here. One involves Adam, now back on Earth, and declared a hero for stopping an alien menace, a celebrity talking about his new book, Strange Adventures, the title of his Silver Age comic, by the way. His alien bride, Alana, is working as his agent as he goes on talk shows, book signings, and a meeting with the president to get an award. We go into flashbacks on the planet Ran. Adam is transported to and from Ran via a Zeta beam, which plucks him away at random times. He's fighting an invasion from the Peaks, and that doesn't go well. We see him firing his blaster with an appropriate pew-pew. He's fighting for Ran and his family, as they just had a daughter, Alina. Back on Earth, a protester at a book signing calls him a war criminal for what he did there, which goes viral. It's clear he has guilt about it, as all the accolades on Earth leave him depressed, one of King's themes. The protester is found dead, and conspiracy theories abound. Back on Ran, the capital is invaded. Back on Earth, Adam gives a press conference and says it's all lies. He then asks Batman to investigate the whole thing just to be sure. Batman refuses, saying they're friends, but he'll find a replacement. Adam just wants someone who will be fair. Back to Ran, where the family evacuates to the countryside, only for Adam to be Zeta-beamed back to Earth. Back on Earth, where Batman has found his surrogate. Who better to be fair than Mr. Fairplay, a.k.a. Mr. Terrific? The artwork is dreamy, the transitions purposely jarring, with Gerards and Shainer respectively handling the Earth and Ran scenes. A fantastic start to this miniseries. Lois Lane number 9 of 12 by Rucka, Perkins, and Troy. Lois has the question contact Batman via his bat signal to get info on the assassin called Kiss of Death. Who, what, why, you know, all of it. Just do that thing you do, okay? Bruce isn't happy about it, but he agrees. He gets the info and says since magic is involved, Clark won't be a lot of help. Not an issue, question replies, since Lois told him to stay out of it. We're going to handle it ourselves. Cool, huh? 
Batman swoops away. Have fun storming the castle. Meanwhile, the nun and the mysterious woman arrives in Chicago with Jessica, not really sure who she is. Lois goes to ICE to find the housekeeper who was used by the assassin to get to her. They called a raid, and the housekeeper was taken into custody, leaving a job opening. Lois and the question meet by an ICE demonstration, and Lois notes that many of the heroes, including her husband, are undocumented. Yeah, well, they get a pass. They're heroes. That's not why they get a pass. They track down the housekeeper in custody, and when Lois tries to comfort her, ICE kicks her out. No physical contact. They return to Chicago and meet Jessica Midnight, who turns out to be the former black bishop of Checkmate. She's also a witch, and they need her to catch the kiss of death. Billionaire Island, number one, from Ahoy Comics by Russell Pugh and Chuck Ree. Mark's a sucker for Mark Russell's combo of satire and social commentary. And he's back after his first run on Second Coming. Welcome to 2044, where billionaires can escape the ecological and social nightmare they themselves created and move to a floating island that is in international waters, is mobile to avoid attacks, has attack drones to stop immigrants, and only allows billionaires and their servants, most of which are robots anyway. We see an infomercial, beachfront property falling into the sea, climate refugees being dumped into construction trucks to avoid alligators, a suicide bomber attacked a board meeting after her cancer made her terminal, and she was denied treatment. Cut to a man holding a CEO hostage in his bedroom, who explains that their emergency food aid included a sterility virus. Of course, it mutated into Ebola's overachieving little brother. The man was there guarding the food shipments and watched his wife and son die horribly. He asked the CEO where to find the head guy, Rick Canto, who then shows up in the infomercial. Good enough. He then feeds the food packs to the CEO. Meanwhile, a reporter confronts Canto, who suggests they go to Billionaire Island after word gets out about the dead CEO. It's a trap for the reporter as she is sent into the hamster cage where various others are trapped. A guy from accounting that found out discrepancies and reported them, a female exec who is convinced this is just a management exercise, and a few others we haven't been formally introduced to. Food, and then, bizarrely, money is thrown in. The reporter demands to be let out, but it's no good. Back on the mainland, the assassin is getting a pass to the island. A fun, yet depressing, story. So, a couple news stories to mention. Fallout continues from the Dan DiDio firing. Jim Lee at C2E2 stated that things will continue as planned and that DC will be around for another 85 years. However, rumors abound that creators of the upcoming Generation specials have been told to stop work and that they will be paid for their work that they've done so far, which will tell me that DC's not going to use it. It will be scuttled. And that the whole defined timeline for DC may be softened, although we've already established dates in both the Wonder Woman and Flash anniversaries. That a new group of creatives, possibly including those involved in Jim Lee's new talent initiative, will be involved. Mark's prediction? The Generation specials will be rewritten and pushed into a separate continuity, much like the Marvel's Ultimates, which this is clearly aping. It will be interesting how official announcements will be made about all of this due to... Comic-Cons being delayed or canceled due to the coronavirus. In some cases, organizers are being proactive while others are being forced into it as exhibitors and publishers are bowing out. There's also the fact that many creatives live outside the U.S. and may not be allowed to fly in. In Seattle, Emerald City is being pushed back into the summer to be determined after the major players all backed out. 
I suspect that if C2E2 had been scheduled just a few weeks later, it would have met the same fate. Ironically, just this past weekend was Wizard World Cleveland, which was held without any issues. All eyes now turn to Anaheim's WonderCon, scheduled for April 10th through the 12th, Orlando's MegaCon, April 16th to the 19th, and of course, San Diego, July 23rd to 26th. I cannot imagine a better Petri dish than 200,000 sweaty comic fans crushed like sardines on San Diego's exhibit floor. We may also see delays or cancellations of comics and merchandise, especially if it is produced in Asia. Movies are also being affected. The new James Bond film has been pushed back to November since the Asian box office would be minimal. All right, before we get out of here, it's time to play America's fastest growing new game show. Guess who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? Well, we've had to make a few changes in light of Entertainment Weekly becoming Entertainment Monthly. So let's bring out the big newsstand. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Let's get a magazine that hasn't already been shut down and stop. And this week's magazine is The Hollywood Reporter. All right, Mark, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, I'm pressing the button. TV related? No. Movie related? Yes. Is it one person on the cover? No. Two? Yes. A man and a woman? No. Two women? Yes. Um, is Are they both in the same movie? Yes. Um, let's see. Um, is the movie uh, is the movie out yet? No. Um, is the movie coming out this year? Yes. Is it a genre movie? Um... Uh, yeah. Okay, is it movie related? Oh, no, is it um, um, uh, superhero related? No. Is it science fiction related? No. Fantasy? Sort of. Sort of fantasy. Is it animated? No. Is it, okay, is it, it's kind of fantasy related. Is it historically related? Okay. Um. And is it some big movie that they're expecting to make big bucks? I would assume so. Okay. Hmm. Although, if it follows in the trend of similar movies, it won't make a lot of money. (laughs) Okay. I want you to refer back to my emphatic, no, it was not an animated movie. It was not an animated movie. Emphatically. So it's a, is it it a live action redoing of a? Yes. So it would be Mulan? Yes. Uh I gave you lots of clues. Yes, you did. (laughs) Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.